Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I am so, so excited to have an amazing guest today, uh, Jason Cabell. And Jason, you're an amazing, amazing history. Uh, Jason is a retired uh, Navy veteran. He was a SEAL for most of that time, combat veteran. He's been to over 100 co uh, countries in the world. He's a writer, a director, an actor. I don't know what else. You, you do everything, Jason. I don't know where to start. Um, he directed a film, Running with the Devil, starring Nicolas Cage and Larry Fishburne, among other movies. And he's got other movie projects as well. He's got another movie, Shockwave Countdown to Disaster, uh, Smoke-Filled Lungs. And he's also, are you still, you're still an ambassador uh, for the Navy as well? Yes, yep. yep. Mm -hmm. And he's sure. a proud father, which I always have <laughs> to go ahead and put that in there because uh, it seems like you are definitely a proud dad. So, 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Martin. Yes. I, I, I have to give a quick shout out. There's a couple of friends, that, uh, Rob and Eve, that helped set this up. And <laughs> I was so excited to have you. So, thank you so, so much for being here. And I oh, just want my to start, pleasure. I want to start off this way. And can you tell me where you were born and raised? Yeah, so uh, well, I was born in Chicago, but I, I moved to Colorado and I was raised in Denver, but I spent all my summers in Chicago. So, uh, yeah, I was born there when that was in the end of the 60s when my sister was was born. And then I was born in the 70s, but right after the big Democratic convention. And that was, you know, with the riots and I guess the Chicago 7, that movie that came out, we lived right across the street from Grant Park. So, um and my dad said, "Yeah, we we need to like we need to get out of the city, so we moved to Denver. But I still spent all my summers in Chicago." And what was your child's your childhood like? What kind of stuff did you used to do? And I mean, were you involved in school activities? And what yeah, kind of stuff did you, do? I, you know, I had a pretty normal. I mean, obviously, uh, growing up, I was a mixed kid. You know, my mom was white and my dad was black. And in the seventies and eighties, it, it's a, it was a different time, especially in Colorado, but. I had a pretty normal middle class childhood. I went to a good school and I came, I just moved back to Colorado about nine months ago. So my son could go to that same school and Max Preps just voted at the number one school in America. So I think I finally have been in the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, it's all good. So. And then what kind of stuff did you do growing up? Were you always like involved with sports and. Um... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, your bet your seasons out and it's very seasonal and, football, uh, baseball, stuff like that, and anything you could do outside. And, um, you know, yeah, pretty much who, who all your, the normal. Who are your role models growing up? Like who are your heroes and role models? Did you, <laughs> did you kind of, did you kind of, when you were growing up, did you say, Hey, I wanted to do, be a firefighter. What did you, what were you thinking? When you were oh, I, I think, you know, a lot of the typical stuff, obviously sports, I think, you know, being Denver, the Denver Broncos. I mean, my, my dad was, also, he was a hero of mine. He was a World War II veteran, you know, pretty tough guy. Um, he didn't get married and, and have us till he was in his mid-40s. But, um, you know, super interesting guy. He'd been around the world, and he always encouraged me. He said, look, you, you can do anything you want if you're willing to make the sacrifices and work hard enough. And I, I do believe him. <laughs> I think I'm living proof of that. And I tell my kids that, too. I say, look this is your one shot here, do something extraordinary with your life and go out there and do something, go see the world. You know, this is your one time throwaway deal and go do something extraordinary. 
Yeah, Jason, I, I really, really love that about you because it seems like your entire history, you're so goal-driven. How did you get that way? Did you pick that up from your mom and dad? I mean, it's, it's you're just so focused on being successful. Well, I, you know, I think you can't have fear of failure and whatever it is, you have to listen to the universe because if you do, it will put you on the right path. I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to join the Navy and be a SEAL, but at the time it all happened, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And I followed that path and I ended up having a great Navy career. Same thing with going into show business, but it, 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 the signs were there and it was calling me. So I ended up doing it. And in both cases, if it wasn't the right thing to do, it wouldn't have happened. So, um, you know, I think the goal driven, yeah, I, I think my parents taught me that, you know, self-discipline is a big thing. And all those cliche things you hear from people about making your bed every day and people go, oh, you know, well, they're important because um, you just have to get a little bit better every day and move forward a little bit every day, no matter what you're doing. When I wanted to be a SEAL, I didn't know how to swim. And I met a guy and I'll never forget this guy because he, he kind of recruited me and he said, look, uh, you know, come do the test. I'm doing, this was in Arizona. I had moved to Arizona cause I was going to go back to college and, um, I was in decent shape. So they gave the COPT test every Saturday. So I did okay on the run. I passed the push-ups and the sit-ups and the pull-ups, and then it got time for the pool. And I jumped in the pool and everybody swam. I barely made it across half the pool and I was choking to death. And I'm like, well, this is the time this guy looks and says, there's a lot of other programs that aren't based in the in the water and i remember he leaned down he said you just drank half the pool didn't you and i said yeah and he goes well drink a little bit less every day we work out at 4 30 six days a week 4 30 a.m and i mean i just grinded i got in a master's program and i went from not being able to swim a lap to passing the test to being comfortable in the water but it goes back to what my father said are you willing to make the sacrifices to do whatever it takes to get there? And I was working two jobs and getting up and swimming in the morning and then going swimming at night and uh, just existing so that I could do it running at lunch at work. I'd go on a six mile run or something. So, you know, knowing the physical shape you had and then learning a lot of the, the other, you know, sea stuff and stuff about being in the Navy. So, there always is a way if you're like, well, I, I don't like to get up earlier. I don't, you know, there is something about getting up in the morning and there is something about, you know, doing that kind of stuff that matters. Hey, Jason. So let me ask you. So, so we kind of went through when you were in elementary school and high school, mm -hmm. you stayed involved in sport. And when did you, what did you do when you left high school? Did you, did you want to go to college or did you mm -hmm. want to go to the military? How did that, how did that transpire? <laughs> So I went to a small school in the mountains. School was never really my thing at the time. And I think back then I had, you know, I was ADD and a little dyslexic and stuff, but they didn't really, you know, in the eighties, they were like, yeah, just, you know, you're stupid. And I had, I would, I would try and I had average grades or above average grades, but I just wasn't a good student, but I learned how to learn in the military once I got in there, but no, I went to college and, and then I was trying to play golf. And they cut the golf program at this little, you know, NAIA school 
but we had played this little school in Arizona and Scottsdale college was like a, a track to Arizona state. So I moved down there to work and uh, to get in-state tuition. So I took a semester off to get in-state. And then that time is where I went to a, an air show with my girlfriend at the time and saw the Navy parachute team, the recruiting team, and it worked on me <laughs> and I didn't know anything about it. And, I, I remember going to the recruiter and signing up and my roommate in Arizona, I came back, I said, yeah, I, I just signed up to join the Navy and I'm going to try to be a SEAL. And he laughed. He's like, you know, you got to know how to swim and be really good. In the water. I'm like, I'll figure it out, man. I'll figure it out. So, so how did so you, so, okay. So you signed up mm -hmm. and then were you in for a while before you, mm -hmm. you go no, directly no. to the SEAL? How yeah. what was that process? So what was the whole back, process? Back, yeah. Back then they had something called the delayed entry program. And you would spend, you'd have like 18 months till you were going to leave. So if you could pass all the stuff, they would give you a guaranteed slot at the SEAL school. So I had a ship date like of 18 months. So I went, I have a year and a half to figure this out or, <laughs> you know, I'm going to end up chipping pain or something. So, um, and I used to do that when I first, I would go across, not that there's, look, I, those fleet sailors work harder than anybody in the Navy and they're tough. And, you know, my dad was old wooden decks, iron, you know, iron men, you know, stuff in the Navy. But um, I would go over there to motivate myself and go, oh, if you don't make it through SEAL training, you're going to this is going to be you unrated on a ship, which if you're unrated, you're you are chipping paint and doing whatever you got to do. So. <laughs> so then. So then. Um, so you were like working two jobs and then you said, what was the process like for learning how to swim? How long did it take you to be confident? And do you, every morning you'd get up at five in the morning and go swim and. Yeah, and no, it, I mean, you, you can't, that's the other thing. A lot of people, you can't be afraid to suck. And I sucked. And I, I mean, and I think a lot of people, they're afraid to suck really bad at something and get a little better, but I did, I drank a little less water and I found coaches and programs at the ymca and those masters to where that's all i was doing i'd swim three four thousand meters in the morning and then go to work and then do, do a run at lunch and then when i got off the second job i'd go swim again as much as i could and that's you know putting in that kind of work i was good and i was all i was doing was being in the water in the water in the water trying to get comfortable in the water so i mean it wasn't easy but nothing is and you know, um, but, you know, you get on a path and, and you just get a little bit better every day. So. And then when you tried out for the, the next time you tried out for the SEALs, so can you describe what was that like for you? Well, I mean, we work with this guy and every Saturday we would do the test and my push-ups and all that got better and better and better where I was really a good performer at running and every pull-ups and and then I remember the first day I passed the swim and it was a great you know and I might have passed by like 12 seconds or something but I still passed and now I had a benchmark and I got a little better and I, I got comfortable by the time I really went in I could pass the test with ease you know and and I was comfortable enough and I had put the time in the water and I had done open water swims. There's a reservoir here and I put fins on and swam across it. It was like 
three miles across and I was out in the middle of it. Someone came pulling up in a boat. They're like, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm like, get away from me. I'm just swimming. You know, like, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm swimming. Get away from me, you know. But they were freaking out because I'm in the middle of the lake, you know, and I've got, and they're like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I'll make it. I'll make it. But that's all I did was run and swim and exercise. There was a thing I could do pull-ups on. I was doing it. I was doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of push-ups a day. And that's the kind of stuff, you, you know, you, when you, are going to do something or like that you have to do it on the terms to make it a lot of people i see they want to do things like, like hollywood or this on their own terms it's never going to work like oh i'll get a personal trainer or i'll no you have to just say i'm obsessed with with this and i'm going to run so many miles a week i'm going to do this many push-ups i'm going to do and then you just any chance you get you're doing push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups and dips and running and swimming and you know and i think that's the honestly that's the easy part even if you don't know how to swim because the rest of it's mental but to get there it's still mental and if you're not willing to do that or say i'm gonna you know and i you struggle with that i struggled with it with my kids but my son gets up every morning and puts in some road work now and you know does his push-ups and stuff and he is he lettered as a sophomore on a three-time state champ football program he plays wrestling uh football and baseball but he puts in the work and he gets he puts in the work academically too so i'm glad for that i mean thank god for smart moms because both my kids have done really well academically where that was but they're both doing extraordinary my daughter went to cu boulder and to become a marine corps lieutenant is a very difficult task and she's done well and my son is he's about you know he's finishing his sophomore year and starting his junior year here in the fall and he's doing extremely well so um I, one of my greatest things was my daughter you know getting through this the marine corps career she talked to me recently and said hey i really want to thank you again for how you raised me and teaching me independence and how to get stuff done and you know, I didn't think anything about it. I just thought that's how things should be. But, um, you know, that little bit of self-discipline, I had her flying unaccompanied when she was young, taught her how to cook, taught her how to, you know, grew, you know, iron and do things around the house. And those little discipline things really matter. And, you know, she's proficient at a lot of different stuff. And, um, but she has a lot of self-discipline. And Jason, how did you balance two jobs and you were training for the SEALs? Uh, was that a stressful time for you? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was sleeping a couple hours a night, which was, you know, uh, things to come because you don't sleep a lot in SEAL team. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you get the better shape you're in as well. And, you know, it meant you, you can handle a lot more stress, I think, um, when you're in peak physical condition uh it helps reduce that stress and you think clearer and you can function on less sleep you know so. and what was uh seal training like for you did it match did, did it match what tv or is there any, <laughs> was, there, what, was there anything was there any movie or anything um that was matched that experience or no or it just no it's hard i mean you it's just and that's what i told my daughter going into the marine corps she said how am i going to get through this i said how much are you willing to suffer you know and you're gonna suffer and you're gonna be in seal training you're just you're freezing cold and wet for the entire time and you have chafing from the sand it, you can't describe it to somebody i can't sit here and tell you how hard it was it's just not 
fathomable. It's not on your radar. It's incredibly hard. And you learn, and so is combat, though. So that's another, I mean, it prepares you for all that. But uh, SEAL training is difficult. Was yeah. there any, was there any, were you in Coronado? Yes. Mm-hmm. And was there any time, I mean, I know you probably saw people when you went through that training that gave up. And Yeah, oh, yeah, most and, of them. And how, what kind of, like, what would you tell someone if they wanted to become a SEAL mentally? How do you prepare for that? And that's something or is there something innate inside every navy seal that they have to kind of bring to the table in order to get through it um i think i mean look like i said how much are you willing to suffer that's (laughs) i mean that's truly it's a simple statement but i think that's the truth and um i do think like my last job before i retired excuse me was excuse me running the first phase of buds and I could go down the line and look at everybody, you know, starting with 150 people. And I could tell you who was going to make it or not. There's something in your eyes or something. I think people also know deep down inside if it's ego driven, if you're doing it, if you're fooling yourself. I mean, the ego is a crazy thing. And it's fun to talk about wanting to be like everyone wants to be a frogman on a sunny day. But actually digging down and doing it. You can tell and you can see it when you when you go through and I wasn't wrong on one person. There wasn't one person that I'd look in their eyes and go, oh, they surprised me. You you can tell to the person who's going to make it or not. What was the most difficult part of SEAL, SEAL training? It's it's I mean, the 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 physicality of it is is the same or harder than any of the selection courses, Ranger School uh green berets delta force all that the thing is is you're soaking wet and miserable the whole time and you start wet and you finish wet and you're in the ocean that cold water is a game changer i mean it's like i remember one of the first there's this, the folklore about this the first ops in afghanistan and the taliban was holed up in this house and they were we're gonna fight to the last man and there was a frog man there and he said hold on a second and they were in the basement and he snuck a hose over there and they filled the basement with cold water and those guys gave up within an hour, you know, so because of the cold water, you know, so that, I mean, it's, it is such a game changer to be cold and wet. It, it just think about anything that you're doing. So throw on the extreme physicality of it. That's probably more than any other training. And then you're going to start and be cold and wet and miserable and sandy and chafing the whole time. And there's a lot of luck to getting through that because guys get infections and, you know, there, there's a lot of luck to just, it's not like, you know, you have to be a little bit lucky too, you know? So what kind of like mentally when you're out, when you're out there training, what kind of got you through that mentally? Like what are the kind of things that you think of to got you through it? Well, I mean, you, you learn to go evolution to evolution. Like you just, I'll make it to, I'll make it to lunch. I'll make it to dinner. I'll make it to breakfast. But also I kind of, I had this personal thing like um, Highlander where I would take someone's power if they quit, you know, the quickening. And I, and I, I, I would, cause you know, there was a couple guys, there was a guy that was like a collegiate swimmer at like Michigan state or one of the big, you know, and he was the best on the O course. And I was like, man, if I had, one tenth of that guy's athletic ability. He was the second guy to quit during Hell Week. So I took extreme 
motivation from that. Like, I'm still here. I may not be as fast as that guy or, you know, I'm still here though. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's the mental because everybody's going to think about quitting no matter what. It's just they, that you can break anyone. You can, you can literally break anyone, but are you willing, how much are you willing to suffer? You know? So I went from meal to meal, basically there are quit tomorrow, I'll quit tomorrow, I'll quit tomorrow, you know? And what kind of leaders do you think that uh, the Navy builds good leaders? And going through that, does it bring out a lot of leadership skills for people when they're going through that training? And do you kind of see leaders emerging out of that? Yeah, the right people. I mean, it's not a given that if you go through buds or you're going to be, but the right people for sure. I mean, the people that get it for sure. And if you're if you have that in you, you're going to become a great leader. But I, I, I don't know if you're born that way. I don't know if you achieve it. I don't. Um, but honestly, it's kind of a funny thing, because if a guy was a turd in training, there was never any huge battlefield heroes. Where it's like, man, that guy really sucked. And, but he's great now. And like you see in the movies or something, if you're a turd, you're a bigger turd when it, when it gets really serious. So, I mean, and that's the truth. And, and uh, at least that was my experience. It's very rare. So um you it, you are who you are and i think you it, there are some brilliant lessons in seal team to bring out a natural leader um or turn you in if you can learn those lessons sure you know can you give me an example of that well yeah so what what they would do and i did the same thing is you follow behind a boat crew and i might see you do something wrong and blame me you know, blame another guy and go, why'd you do that? And if they go, well, I didn't do it. Martin did it. You're probably not going to see the next day because who cares who did it in a team? Are you going to be a team player? And if you're pointing fingers and going, well, I didn't do that. It's not my, well, it's your, who cares who did it? If you're in a boat crew, if something's wrong, fix it. You, you can't sit there blaming someone. So part of that leadership and all that is taking ownership and responsibility of what happened and say if you say yeah i screwed that up and here's how i'm gonna fix it you're probably gonna fit but if you go what do you mean that wasn't me it was him you know it it usually doesn't work out too well for you <laughs> that's if you if you do that and they that's what you do on purpose to see how they respond and if someone you know that, that's a that's one of the simple i mean just off the top of my head you asked me so i kind of pulled that out of my butt but that's something that i remembered you know and then what was your first rotation when you completed training? Did they, they send you overseas? And I know you've been to a hundred different countries and I know part of that is, is your movie career too, but like, sure, what? sure. Well, no. So you go, then when I went through and it's more streamlined now, you would check into your team and then you would go to for another six to eight months of training and it's called SQT and they still have it. It's more formalized now, excuse me. And then, so by the time you got into a platoon, you had a year's worth of training and then they put you on probation and you'd get your trident and then you would deploy. So, um, yeah, I mean, it took me, it was probably almost two years before I deployed the first time after all the training, you know. And where did they deploy you? Well, pre 9-11, we went all over Southeast and Southwest Asia. I mean, we had detachments in Bahrain. We had... Uh, you know, a lot of like Thailand, Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia, Sri Lanka, uh, Brunei, like places, you know, all over. We would we'd go to Korea, Japan, 
Um, and then w during your workup too, if there were big exercises, we deployed from the States. But then when you went, we would go to Guam. Uh, they had just closed the Philippines because of um, Mount Pinatubo. So they moved our detachment to Guam. So we would go to Guam and stage out of there for at least six months. And then we'd just, you, you name it, we'd be popping around uh, Southeast and Southwest Asia. And then Bahrain would handle most, that was the detachment for most of the Middle East. And I did what was called an ARG uh, deployment, uh, amphibious ready group with the Marines. And that's when the Kobar Towers got hit. And, you know, they, Peter Berg did a movie called The Kingdom about that when in Saudi Arabia. And we were over there for that. And we popped all over, um, you know, the, the that's when I went to like Jordan and Israel and, you know, all those countries over there and, and uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, um, that, that kind of thing. And let me ask you, this, this is, I know that people have asked you this probably like, where were you at during 9-11 and how did that change the SEALs in your view? Yeah, so, well, I was a, a jump instructor at the center. I was teaching for, uh, jump master and it, it was a lot smaller than two because we would work the hell weeks and do all that stuff. But 9-11 went down and I was, I still had, I think, six months at the center, but I augmented SEAL Team 3 and September 22nd, I was, I was gone. I was in uh, Jordan and Egypt and they just put us out everywhere. And I stayed there till, um, you know, for, till Christmas. And then I came home and then I went right back to Uzbekistan in early 2002. So, and then I checked into um, SEAL Team 7 in March when I was a original plank owner and they just had the 20th anniversary uh, on St. Patrick's Day, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, and then I was in Team Seven, and we ended up deploying uh, over to Baghdad. So, what were your experiences like in Baghdad? I know you were in, in combat zone, and I, um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the first one it was a little crazy, and I was obvious. I was part of a special activities program. I mean, I don't look like a Western European, so um, we worked for a bunch of different task forces and groups, and to find fix and finish bad guys and we were busy i mean we were really really busy and we were one of the only shows in town in 2003 and 4 and we were popping all over the country so it was uh yeah it was the op tempo was high and how did you deal with your stress level your stress level must have just been pretty difficult given all the yeah. circumstances and being in a different environment and did you have a family at the time yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I had my daughter and, you know, my son wasn't, he was born in between deployments, but, um, you know, and I was newly married again and stuff. So yeah, you, I mean, the technology was starting to catch up then. And I think that became one of the harder things. Like if you look at how we're talking now and some of those guys, you're literally coming off out of the field and then you're on with your wife or your kids and they don't know what you just went through. Um, you know, and I remember, the surreal, you know, my, my wife at the time was trying to buy, you know, some new appliances. And I'm like, well, we got the money for them. And, you know, she, she was like, why are you so sure you can't go, well, here's what just happened or whatever. And, you know, you try to be as, but it, when you bring those worlds so close together so easily, and we had phones in the, you know, where all of a sudden you're just talking to home. I don't know if that's good or bad person. I think it's good to keep in touch, but, um, I think I'll, are you there? 
Martin, I, I lost you. I think I lost you. I guess I'm hosting the show now. <laughs> I think he just uh, popped off for a second. But he should be oh, right there we go. Here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Uh, there you are. Okay, let's continue. So I was getting ready to shift the colors and take over. No, no. <laughs> like, All right, I guess I better do. So, better dance so, or do something. <laughs> so that so you said that was a difficult time for you managing your family and and yeah. work. And then how how did you the, just the stress of that? How did you focus on? You're trying to focus on your task at hand, and yeah. your and your life is at risk, and the life of your fellow comrade, your your. Your, your fellow, you know, your mates there are at risk as well. How did you, how were you able to focus on that? And then, well, like you said, it, dealing with your family at the same time. It, it's, you got to stay, compartmentalize everything and stay mission focused. And that's where we had specific missions and we were after specific people. And you have to get focused on that and, and you have to learn to control your emotions. Like going, all right, we're going into Fallujah. Well, you know you're leaving, but you're like, well, I got four hours, so I'm not going to worry about it right now. You have to stay in the moment. And we'd get attacked at that time. They would attack our base and we'd get mortared. And, you know, so you you just live moment to moment and worry about what's right in front of your face. You know, um, sleep when you can, you know, just uh, a lot of it seems like a blur now, too. You know, when you there's certain moments that are etched in my memory but a lot of it seems like a blur you know and when you see these films like you see like all the navy seal films and stuff how close is that to reality and when you see some of this do you just go oh, i don't know about this this does not really it doesn't really give a sense of really what we were going through or doesn't match well, the reality of it see here's the thing as a filmmaker and i'm a writer and a director now i get it because you have to tell a story. And if you go to a movie, then go watch a documentary. I mean, it's, I'd say the best are 50, 60% accurate, but you have to weave that fictional magic in there. No one knows exactly what was said. No one knows. I'm about to do a real story about Robert F. Williams, and I don't want to get off on, you know, but you have to make up a lot of stuff. And you have, because there has to be beats, and in a movie, you have to, keep the audience engaged in something it's a drama something has to happen or you're going to get up and go get popcorn or go to the bathroom so real life is not that it's like people look at cop oh, cops don't ever you know or why are there just cops gotten 10 gunfights well it's a movie if you go there to be entertained and to escape reality even in some of the because people what about zero dark 30 or american sniper all that you go oh, it's a 50 percent, maybe you know and you have to weave, same with, you know, Lone Survivor and all, you have to weave fictional magic in there to make it a movie. And those directors and those writers know that. So you get the essence. And that's why it says based on a true story or events, not this exactly how it happened. No one ever says that. So, um, you know, and they, you, you, if you're going to a movie to see something that's 100, then even a documentary isn't gonna be so you know if you don't have the experience for yourself then you know um it is what it is <laughs> and, and how did you get through like when you when you lost somebody in combat or uh, went through difficult times what got you through that jason and, and do you still deal with a lot of those issues now i mean in terms of processing uh, stuff I and mean, how did it affect you 
Well, I mean, I think it affects everybody differently and it's real and it's still going on. And we have a problem with suicides now and stuff. And, you, you know, there's so many, uh, it was tough. I mean, collectively, you just, it was exhausting going to all the funerals. It was, you know, but that's what we signed up for and volunteered for. And it happens. But I think everybody deals with it differently. And it is tough. And there are still people, excuse me, that are gone that I don't believe are gone, or I feel like I'm going to see them again. It doesn't seem real. And you're like, no, they're still here, you know, but I, I think everybody, there's no cookie cutter answer for that. And there's no, it doesn't matter how I feel, because you're going to feel differently about it or at anybody. So I, I think they've, they've grown and gotten better. But I think one of the big issues is why isn't the government doing this? Anybody that's getting any help is getting it from nonprofits and outside organizations. And I was, I did a bunch of fundraising for some stuff at these golf tournaments. And, you know, I had a guy go and say, hey, I'm going to write a huge check. And the guy was very wealthy. And he said, I want to ask you one question. Why do I, as a civilian, have to write a $60,000 check? Why isn't the government doing this? And you go, yeah, that's a, wonderful question but any therapy or help that a lot most guys are getting are from nonprofits. like um you know mark lee's mom has a great program he was the first seal killed in, in iraq and um you know the navy seal fund they help people get stuff going and if they get a dollar in they're help, helping somebody with it so um you know but that is a very interesting question martin is okay, well, they break you as a toy, as a broken toy, and then they don't fix you. You know, they say they do, but they're not. There's simple solutions to this stuff, and guys are getting the help they need, but it's usually from these nonprofits, and there is no, I mean, it's a problem. I know people that work on the Hill, too, and it seems like with the bureaucracy, they're 10 years behind, you know. Um, so that's, I mean, I don't want to get too political. No, no, I, I know. I really appreciate that. My, my dad was a veteran and, yeah. uh, and he served two years overseas. And, uh, I remember his, um, when he passed away, we didn't even realize it, um, as a family, he had PTSD on there. And I, evidently he talked about losing a lot of his friends in the war and how much it affected him and yeah. him, being, him being on the front line for a couple of years. And, um, the doctor was telling us, he said, you know, yeah, your dad talked about it all the time and how much it affected him. And none of us, he didn't talk to any of, of us about it. And so we didn't know that was going on. But when he passed sure. away, he said, yeah, it definitely affected your dad in a lot of ways and talked about a lot of his friends he lost. So yeah. I, I always worry about that. You know, we glamorize all this stuff on television, but I don't think people realize the, the effect, even like you were saying on your family. I mean, I'm sure that you know, like you said, you're just making those day to day decisions in life and you're overseas and she's worrying about how do I fix an appliance or you're not there mm -hmm. for them. And just the sacrifice that you make, Jason, and for all those in the military, are, it's so um, admirable. So thank you so much for that. Oh, for sure. And, for sure. and let me ask you this. How did you um, transition? Because you transitioned to be you became a writer. And I, I can't believe when I look at the jump. And this really goes to you again, Jason, how motivated <laughs> you are, because I've I've never seen this. Most people, they go to film school and they do all they, they do all these things and they, hey, I'm going to move out to Hollywood. And but you went a totally different route. Can you talk about how you made that transition from from sure. your military life to civilian life? 
Well, again, it was how much are you willing to suffer? (laughs) Uh, And I wouldn't recommend my path to anybody and people, you know, and everybody has their singular path. But, um, you know, I, I did this big stunt for this reality show and it paid really well. And this guy said, hey, you're, you know, you look good on camera. We have some shows we'd like you to host the pilots. Why don't you take some acting classes? So I did. And. I did the pilots and they never got picked up, but I kind of was like, this is interesting stuff. So I started going to all the festivals and markets and stuff to see how movies were bought and sold. Cause you either have the creative or you don't, but it is show business. And a lot of people don't get the business half of it. And so I learned where the money came from and how the sausage was made. And I helped this guy produce a movie and it, you know, it, it, I don't think it ever got released, but I just started reading thousands of scripts and going i think i could do this and i read because you can go to the wga even before i was a member and they have a library and you can look at all so i was like let me look up true romance and all these movies i love and how did they do it and i got textbooks and um you know i got into acting too and i got i got into sag and i did some you know television shows and other stuff because i wanted to see how a set was run and I did background work. I was background on s- several big shows, and people would see me and go, "I saw you on Modern Family." I'm like, "That wasn't me." I was so let me, so let me ask you. So Jason, so okay, let me try to get this right. So okay. before you retired, you didn't know what you wanted to do. No. And mm-hmm. so I'm, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. That's why I want to make sure I get this right. So you basically you're about to retire, and you don't know what you want to do. So yeah. when you, when you retire, did you already have this next job set up, or like did no? You have, did you have to get another job, or what? Did you, how does this just happen? No, I mean you, you go through the transition and stuff, and I tried a couple other things. I worked some odd things, but excuse me, just nothing ever fit, and I knew it wasn't the right path for me, and um, I kept trying different paths and this one just fit for me and it had I, it, if i wasn't doing the right thing it wouldn't have worked but one thing led to another and i wrote a script and i got a movie made and it got you know and i produced another one and it just snowballed to where here i sit 10 years later and you know things are um, are happening but you look back on it and again how much are you willing to suffer and you can't put like a lot of people look at these kind of things like Hollywood or well, go try that for a year. And if it doesn't work, you can get, well, this is a real job and it's extremely hard and you can't put a timeline on it like that. And I think sadly, nobody credits the arts enough. You know, I, I knew I had to do something artistic to, to, for the rest of my life. I was in the warrior class and I was a warrior and I, I can't dance or sing or, you know, so I said, yeah, I, I was attracted to this part of show business. And, but again, how much are you willing to suffer? And if you commit to it, it usually works. But I, you know, if you're like, and people listen to too many other people who think they want the best for you. But if someone puts a timeline, like, we'll go try that for a year, good luck, because it's not going to work. And you have to have the support of people around you to say, hey, I think you can do it. But who believes in a career in Hollywood? Who believes in a career in SEAL Team? But I always looked at it and said, well, there is a SEAL Team, right? And they do need people, right? So why can't I be that? There is a Hollywood, right? They do make movies and TV shows. Why can't that be me? And when you start doing the right things, those old, like, 
you know, Native American, the, the a thousand hands will push you along the path that started happening to me. And if I wasn't doing the right thing, which with some of the other things I was doing, it was just a square peg in a round hole. And then this was like, I think this is it. And, you know, you just can't tell too many people because you get the same response. They're like, yeah, right. And then, but again, they, they, because they don't have the courage to go do it. And my advice to someone is if you're trying to do something, it's, I don't care who it is, even your family, if they are negative, get them out of your life. And I got rid of family members and all kinds of people in my life that told me I couldn't do it. And it wasn't to all show you. It's like you need to find and surround yourself with people with good energy and that can say, hey, let me help you do this and let me see what I can do. And there was a group of people that said, hey, well, we don't know too much about it, but let's see what we can do to help you instead of, oh, that's stupid. Why would you want to go do that? And every one of those guys was at the premiere at the WGA theater for running with the devil going, holy crap, man, here we are, you know, so that's the reality of it. And you just keep working and working and working and get a little better every day. But I, I think people think things are going to be easier drop in your lap. And as I sit here now, knowing what's on the horizon for me, I'm excited beyond words. But the last 10 years haven't been a piece of cake. And, you know, I've gone from almost financial ruin to getting, you know, and keeping all that stuff. That's the self-discipline. You know, it's hard to have an over 800 credit rating. And that's things people, but I, I've been, you know, you, you, those are things that are part of your self-discipline. And financial discipline is the same as, you know, so these are all things you, that you have to be the whole package. And uh, I think we've become such a consumer society and a whole bunch of other things and trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I went from running a 77-man assault force in Baghdad to getting yelled at by a 22-year-old production assistant as a background actor. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to put on. I don't like it. And this person is, a, you know, and there are a few people I kept on a list that, I'm going to hire and fire for being a jerk. So, <laughs> so Jason, let me ask you this. So you did running with the devil. Yeah, you had a uh, shockwave count countdown to disaster, yeah. smoke filled lungs. What other, what other projects do you have coming up? And really quickly. So people know, I mean, you directed, uh, um, running with the devil. And I wrote it as well. Yeah, it's it's. I know it's amazing because you were so so involved in it, and that was one. Of, and that was one of the first things that you did in uh, first film you did. So I mean, well, no, that was the last. It's the last one I did. I just that was it came out in twenty. So smoke filled lungs was the first thing. Then I did shockwave. The one before it never got released, and it, I think it was called Executive Protection, and that's where I helped that guy make that. And then. Uh, yeah, Running with the Devil came out in late 2019, and it's just the contract's been renewed on Hulu like two years in a row. It's still on Hulu. It's done well. It did well. Worldwide. I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> well, thanks for watching. I, I love that movie. And, um, but I have to tell you, so how was it working? You traveled all over. I mean, it looks like you were in Colombia for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did um, Cartagena and Bogota and Colombia. Yeah, and how was how was that directing? Was your stress level? I have some friends that are directors as well, and I can tell you when I talk to them, yeah, they're, they're pretty stressed on terms of funding <laughs> and timelines yeah. and production. You got to make and, the day you and editing. Make the day. Yeah, and that must have been an amazing experience for you. And 
How did you cast the actors? Did you do that, or did, you, did, they, did who did the casting on that? Well, I mean, that's part of the production company, but it happened so fast. They they optioned the script. They we said we're going to make the movie. They sent it out, and I remember they they sent it to Nick Cage. Two days later, I was in Vegas sitting there and talking to him, and then they sent it to Lawrence Fishburne, who I'm going to see this weekend uh, in in New York, um, and. You know, two days later, I was on the set of Blackish, sitting there with him. They all they were see. That's the thing is, if you're creating something, it all starts with that script. And if the script isn't amazing, you're not going to get the actors. But if it's different, you know, if it's what they're looking for, and it's different than the other fifty scripts a week they're reading, then they're going to do it. And I just finished um, with another writer. Finished Negroes with Guns. And we get we're getting an even bigger response, and we're getting that set up production here right now, and we're going to go into casting. So that's exciting too, and that's an unknown story of a civil rights hero, um, and the only uh, successful armed uprising of of black people against the Ku Klux Klan in America. So it's an important story, and it's coming together quickly. So it's a good one. And so when do you think that will be out? That's going to take, take a couple, takes a couple of mean, years, huh? Yeah, that's the a thing. Yeah, and we're at the very, I mean, look, we're in a great place with it, but scheduling and, I mean, it's such a puzzle to get something cast because and with the COVID backup and how everything's catching up, you get some of these big actors are booked till 2024. So you set a start date and then hope you could get, get a bankable cast involved and you know we're working on that right now jason so what other kind of projects do you have going right now you probably have uh, multiple things going on is what else do you have going on so you have that movie going on and yeah i'm writing some stuff and i'm talking some talks with directing some other stuff too so um yeah i mean the next the rest of this year is going to be really busy and exciting and you know next year as well so um yeah it's it's, i'm riding the wave right now (laughs) so let me ask you this what is your favorite genre of films because you you probably become like a little film aficionado now right (laughs) well you know i don't you know i i love it all i mean i i love all of john hughes's films you know from the 80s like the breakfast club the guy was a genius and then i love um Antoine Fuqua stuff. I love, and there's so many huge, you know, I love the thrillers. I love the action stuff. I love really good drama too, though. Um, you know, so there, I love Tarantino stuff and Scorsese's and Guy Ritchie and, you know, Matthew Vaughn. There's so many guys that I just, you know, that, that thriller actiony stuff is great, but I, the dramas, high end dramas still drive everything, obviously, you know, and what kind of connection do you still have with your former life? Um, you're an ambassador, and if you can tell me something about that. Well, so, the, yeah, the Navy SEAL Fund, they do a lot of great stuff for people. Um, and like I said, they get a dollar in, and it goes out to help guys. So, I, I mean, I promote them any chance I get, like talking to you. And, and uh, there are guys that need help, you know, and everybody is different. And there are a few quite a few team guys that I keep in touch with. So, you know, you just try to help each other if they need it. Um, you know, guys need help with their disability or with whatever, you know, and so you, you point them in the right direction. So let me ask you this question. What would the younger self, what would the older self, 
give the younger <laughs> the younger version of Jason in terms of advice because you've learned so much with the seals and you've learned so much doing the films. If you had to give yourself advice, what would that advice be? Um, I I would say stay in the moment more, and I wish. I, I guess what's that man? There's a saying, and I, I I'm gonna butcher it, but about um, experience, ju- experience and judgment. You know, the only way to to um, to get good judgment is experience. The only way to get experience is a lot of bad judgment, you know, or something like that. I I don't know. So, but you know that I think um, you know I wish I would I. I I thought I had discipline, like true, you know, discipline, but I I think until you reflect and, you know, okay, I'm a disciplined seal, but I may not have been disciplined in other areas of my life. And I think um, looking back, I would say, make sure you carry that seal discipline over to everything that you do. And I learned a lot of things the hard way, um, you know, uh, just, becoming a complete person i guess and you're you know and you're a great leader you may not look at yourself (laughs) but 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 people look at you as a leader and what would you say are the top characteristics of a good leader and you look you look to developing yourself as a leader and you look toward other people as a leader what would you say their top characteristics are for you well i mean you have to take care of your people first and if you do once you're in a leadership position you can't take anything from anybody you have to give them everything you have and they're your responsibility and i think people forget that or they cap out um you have to take care of your people or and i mean look the, uh, just like in the task units on the movie set by you know day three i knew 250 crewmen and, and women and i knew everybody's name and I got to know everybody. And that's the thing because they're making the movie. I'm there saying action and cut and making decisions. But without the buy-in of those 250 people, that movie ain't getting made. And it's the same thing in SEAL Team. So, and you can't demand respect. You can't, you know, but if you take care of people and see what they need, they will take care of you. And you got to get your people to take care of each other too. Um, you know, and, and you create a culture like that um, where they trust you and, and you, they know you got their back, then they'll, they'll take care of you. And, you know, so, so I think I have, that's, I mean, that's it. Yeah. I have a few other rapid fire questions for you. Sure. And let me tell you, Jason, you're, you're great. <laughs> you're a great interview. Oh, you're so, you're so relaxed. Um, so let me ask you what is left on your bucket list? Oh boy. Um, you probably have a long one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a couple places I'd like to see or go back to, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited to make this next film and there's a couple things on the horizon, but potentially with television. So, um, you know, I've set those goals and I usually don't tell anyone my goals till they're after they're achieved. So, I mean, my bucket list is largely a lot of those goals. So I can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And, And what is the, your favorite part of being a dad? Oh man, <laughs> that is all that life is. I mean, I love like my kids' accomplishment. Like I'm flying tomorrow to Virginia to to Quantico to see my daughter, you know. And I love like I my son has a baseball game this afternoon, and I love seeing them growing into good human beings. And I love 
them, you know, making they them making the right decisions when nobody's looking on their own. Um, but I, I think that's the greatest thing in life, period. None of this else matters, you know, to me. Man, Jason, your attitude is just so wonderful, man. It's just, um, God, I wish I could be around you all the time. You have some really, 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 really good energy. <laughs> um, oh, thanks, man. What, um, what do you want to be remembered for? When, when, oh, when, 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 when you are gone from this earth, what, looking back, what do you, when they say Jason, Cabell, what do you, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, I think just how I made people feel when I, you know, or how the, my relationships with people and that, um, I did my best to take care of them and do the right thing. Um, you know, uh, that's it. The relationships that you have with people at the end of the day, I don't, you know, material things. I think it's how you make people feel, um, when you're with them, when you're in the, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's it, you know, um, and that, you know, it's, there's this, I don't want to get it, but there was a story. I, I was working the World Cup with this lady um, and she was kind of down. And, and this is one of my greatest accomplishments, I think. And we had to work together for a couple of years and she had a really bad attitude. I'm like, man, I got to work with this lady every day for the next two years. And I said, let's go to breakfast. So we had breakfast before one of our trips. And I said, what's going on with your life? She goes, well, I've been trying for a couple of years to get pregnant with my husband, but all the best doctors in Switzerland are saying, I can't do it. So I said, well, doctors are practicing medicine and this is your life. So why would you let a doctor determine your fate? And I said, read this book. So I gave her a book to read and I said, and go home and have sex with your husband, you know, and I ended up going to this. I'll fast forward. I ended up going to Milan Film Festival because we won it for Smoke Filled Lungs. And she came down like three years later on the train with her son. So, and she said, You changed my life. You, you talked me out of believing these doctors. And I think anybody, because it's so easy to go, Oh, you can't be a SEAL because your eyes aren't good enough, or you can't do this. Oh, well, I would have done that, but someone told me I couldn't. I don't care who tells you again the best doctors in switzerland she still got pregnant and had a kid and she was giving up on that so don't let anyone determine your fate but you i don't care who says what doesn't mean shit you know you you determine your own fate and that's what i mean i i that was one of the coolest things that ever happened to me that you know we talked and i spent a bunch of time with her and she decided well who cares what these i'm going to I'm going to meditate on this and I'm going to make it happen for myself. And she did. And I'm like, that proves right there that you can do anything if you're willing to make. And it seems like a lot of people look at it and go, well, I would have done this, but this person told me I couldn't or this, who cares what someone else tells you, even a doctor, you're going to let someone else tell you what you can and can't do. I, I don't buy that. And it's, it's an easy cop out for a lot of people, people in authority or whatever, and I don't think they live their greatest, fullest life because of that, you know. Yeah, you're you're a true inspiration. When I was when I was recently researching you, Jason, I was like, I was just so amazed to to just kind of like track your story. I was like, oh my goodness, I, I have a lot to catch up. <laughs> well, man, listen, I, I mean, and anybody out there listening, if, if if I can do it, you can do it. If a dumbass like me can do what I'm, I'm telling you, I'm living proof. So. You don't let anyone tell you if you don't fit in the system find a system you fit in and 
you will thrive, not just survive, but thrive and, and just get out there and figure out where you fit. I don't care who you are, what you look like, what you, you know, just do it, you know? Yes. And I, well, we're going to wrap up now. And I, before I go, Jason, I'm going to go ahead and um, I want you to provide where they can get in contact with you, whether they can follow you on Instagram. Um, Brian, thank you so much. Brian uh, Garcia, my producer. Thank you so, so Thanks, much Brian. today. Um, and Jason, please, uh, how can people follow you on IG or if they want to follow your career, what do you, what do you give your plugs out there? Because you have a lot going on. Amazing things. Well, going on, actually. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I do. It's at Jason Cabell official. And I look at the stuff every day and it's really me. So, um, that's easy on Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook or anything else. I, sh I've been told I should be, but <laughs> I, you know, I do Instagram and then, you know, you can check out IMDB and stuff and IMDB pro has all my, um, you know, stuff that's going on in Hollywood and yeah. So all the movie should be coming soon. Well, I'm really, really excited. And just, uh, everyone join me for our next wonderful guest, Jason. You've been amazing. I, I love to have you on again sometime. Sure. What, what, a, what, a, what a great inspiration you are because that's one of the reasons this whole podcast is out there is to motivate people to, to make people strive for a better life and not be inhibited by what other people say. Yes. And you, you are the total embodiment of that. So thank you so much for being here. My and, pleasure. Yeah. And join us next time for our next guest. And if you like the podcast, give it thumbs up and reviews on Spotify, on Apple, on any way you listen, Pandora. Take care and thank you so much. Thanks, Martin.